Healthcare and senior care is fraught with problems and challenges, but we're also seeing some amazing new clinical treatments and resources. This show will help illuminate and uncover the good, bad, and the ugly in order to equip patients, families, and other healthcare providers. Welcome to Senior Care Confidential. Hi there. I have a very special guest today, and we are talking about nurse safety. Um, my special guest is Hope Self. She's a registered nurse with over 25 years of nursing experience. She did uh, telephone triage uh, with Parkland, one of the biggest charity hospitals in the country. Um, Hope has also worked in home care, hospice, and in assisted living. Um, we are very excited to have Hope. She is an Aging Life Care Association member. Uh, she is a special, she was specialized in wound care and an expert on nurse safety. Uh, she is also my business partner in Joy Care Management, and she is my sister, which is also a huge plus. So welcome, Hope. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, we're excited. We're today we're going to talk about nurse safety. You know, as registered nurses, you always hear about patient safety, and it is drilled from day one of nursing school, patient safety. Um, then even in once you become a nurse, everything is centered on patient care and patient safety. But what about the nurses? What about us? Um, just a few weeks ago, just a tragic situation, a registered nurse went out to do a home visit on a uh, patient that is, had been discharged from the hospital. He was a psychiatric patient. Um, he was living in a halfway house for sexual offenders. And when she got to the home, he murdered her. He stabbed her, took her purse, stole from her, um, just left her to die. So uh, family is so, so distraught. The town is distraught. The nursing community, myself, is distraught. You know, what about our safety and how could this have been prevented? So if something happens to me or you hope, what are we going to do? What are our families going to do? So it's so important to talk about making sure we're safe. So let's roll this story that happened in Connecticut, just so eye-opening and horrible. The 5.30 rush starts right now, and tonight we are learning more about the suspect in the death of a Willimantic nurse. The nurse was found dead inside a transitional house for sex offenders. Her family believes her death could have been prevented. Investigative reporter Cassidy Williams is here to break down the suspect's criminal history. Cassidy. Steph, we requested the court records for the charges that are the reason the suspect is a sex offender. In 2006, Michael Reese was convicted of a violent sexual assault. Channel 3's own video records show the crime moments after it happened. This video shows a 39-year-old woman being taken to the hospital after being stabbed in the neck and sexually assaulted in a New Haven cemetery. On June 8th, 2006, police released their suspect, 21-year-old Michael Reese. I want to solicit your help in helping us locate an individual, a predator who was in our midst. 17 years later, Reese is now the suspect in the death of nurse Joyce Grayson in Willimantic. Court records reveal what happened over those 17 years. In June 2007, Michael Reese was convicted of the sexual assault in the cemetery. He was released on probation in April 2021. Court records show he tested positive for cocaine and other drugs a number of times. Reese was then put back in prison for violating probation in March 2022. In March of this year, he was once again released. 
In August, he was transitioned to the Reach House in Willimantic. It's a transitional house for registered sex offenders. On October 28th, that's where the body of Joyce Grayson was found. Court records say Reese tampered with his GPS that same day and was seen running out of the back of the home with a knife and Grayson's belongings on him. But more than a week and a half later, he hasn't been charged in her death. The family is, you know, obviously on edge because they want to see somebody held accountable for the death of Joyce. But I mean, they understand that the police have a job to do. Kelly Reardon is now representing Joyce Grayson's family. While police investigate the criminal side of Grayson's death, Reardon is investigating who else may be responsible. It's clear to me that there are a variety of things that could have been done by different entities and agencies that would have resulted in a different outcome here. Now, Reese is in custody, once again charged with violating probation. Now, Reardon says the family plans to file wrongful death lawsuits, but she is not prepared to say who exactly they will be suing. For the IT, Cassidy Williams, Channel 3 Eyewitness News. So disturbing, that poor nurse and her family, and I just cannot imagine, um, you know, what the family is going through. So Hope, talk about, they're just some interesting statistics. Can you share those with the audience? Right, right. Um, Very, very unsettling and interesting. Also, uh, the data shows that American healthcare workers now suffer more non-fatal injuries from workplace violence than workers in any other profession, including law enforcement. Um, um, healthcare is four to five more times more dangerous than any other profession. Um, Michael D'Angelo, former police officer who focuses on healthcare and workplace violence, um, is, is that's a quote from him. He's a security consultant in Florida. And the latest uh, report from the Bureau of Labor Statistics show that healthcare workers racked up 73% of all non-fatal workplace violence injuries. So it's just, it's a terrible, um, and there are a lot of fatal ones too, um, but it's just a tragedy. I remember when I first went to nursing school, the the biggest threat was you know, how to get to a patient's home when it was snowing or the dreaded needle stick. But this was not in, in my comprehension 25 years ago. I know. I agree. I agree. Um, well, and in 2020, I saw a statistic that there were 78,000 cases of non-fatal injuries reported by nurses, 78,000. But in 2019, um, this was a 290% increase since the year before. So all this increase of violence and anger, rage, um, you know, all happened at the start of COVID. And so, you know, we talk about why, why do we think all this has happened. Right. You I mean, know? there's a lot of reasons. I mean, people, you know, were they're fearful. Uh, they started um, depression increased, um, alcoholism and drug use. They wanted to escape the reality of of the tragedy that was going on with COVID. And so, um, they're they're at a point they're lashing out. They're they're unsettled, um, and they're seeing people die. Right. I mean, you right. think about nurses. Those nurses in New York that worked at the nursing homes were, they literally lost dozens a day. I mean, I cannot imagine how helpless she would feel. Mm -hmm. You know, um, nurses also are a high risk for assault and violence due to the close proximity to patients. This was very disturbing to me. In the United States, two nurses per hour are assaulted, 
in the acute care setting. So that's not only home health, it's in the hospital, it's in rehab, it's um, hospice. So every hour, two nurses. So those odds are pretty great, mm-hmm. right. um, you know, for um, just the safety, our safety. So I had some, you know, I've had been a nurse for over 25 years. You have two hope. And I have had situations personal over the years that, um, that were safety concerns. And yes, they are so much worse than they were. Um, but we're going to talk about those and things that you and I have shared and talked about together. So mm-hmm. let's start with the first one. Okay. Yes. Um, uh, these are some things that Joe and I personally experienced when we worked with acapella in home care and um, it just shows that uh, these crazy things are reality. They, they happen. And we're going to talk about what what the situation was, how it was handled, how it could have been handled differently, or how it could have been avoided in the first place. Um, first of all, um, Joe was sent to a crack house at 3 a.m. to reassess a feeding or reinsert a feeding tube. Um, uh, let's see. <clears throat> she told the triage that she would not be able to reinsert it, but she, uh, but they insisted that Joe go anyway to assess. Um uh, when Joe arrived, there were 10 men gathered together, gathered around drinking and, and being stoned on the front porch. Uh, Joe walked inside to find a patient on a mattress with no sheets on the floor. The feeding tube had been pulled out. Joe recommended he go to the ER and call 911. Uh, the drinking friends scattered um, the, when the ambulance came, and Joe waited in her car because she felt unsafe. Um, the patient was taken off hospice and moved to a nursing home. Uh, this was too dangerous for nurses to go out on an individual basis. The patient was admitted from the hospital, and the case manager did not know the home environment. So to the hospital case manager's uh, credit, she didn't realize what was going on when she they assigned a home health visit. So, um, so Joe, um, you know, tell me some, uh, ways this could have been avoided this whole situation. Yeah. I think first, um, when the nurse, there's always a nurse that goes out to do an eval and assessment and paperwork is signed. So whoever did that assessment, the nurse that went out the first time would have known the home environment, should have reported that to the supervisor of the hospice or home health. Nothing was reported to us of that nature. Um, I think with that kind of situation, Nurses really cannot reinsert a feeding tube out in the home. It's got to be reinserted. They they need to go to the ER to get that reinsertion. So I shouldn't have been sent out to do something like that. It, it just, you know, I think sometimes when somebody's on hospice and they're ready to pass, they pull tubes out, you know, and I think in the on the triage nurses benefit, she felt like, well, maybe he's just letting go and starting the dying process. But um, the triage nurse should have known the safety risk. They, she should have known the home was a crack house, um, you know, and going three in the morning. I think it, for certain patients, if they live in certain areas or we know it's flagged as unsafe, have a male nurse or a social worker or chaplain go with us or security, mm-hmm. hire a security company um, or tell the client, when they live in that environment, 
that we can't send a nurse out at night because of safety. So if there is a concern to call 911. Um, the other thing is having the social worker, once they know the patient is living in an unsafe environment, have the social worker get involved immediately to find a safe place for that patient to live. So had that patient in the hospital, once they got home and they had seen this is a dangerous situation, moving that patient immediately to a nursing home would have been the better option. Right. Good, good answers, Joe. Good things to think about. <clears throat> Our next example is that Joe had a patient was asked to be uh, uh, patient needed to be seen. She was 600 pounds with bed sores all over her body. She was pain seeking, wanted more hydrocodone, lived in a hotel pay by the week, in and out of the hospital. Uh, she needed dressing changes twice a day, which was promised by the sales team of the um, of the home health company. Uh, the nurse was unable, Joe was unable to turn the patient without risking hurting her back. Joe, tell us a little bit about what happened and the outcome. So this patient was 600 pounds. Um, I was given that information prior to going to the visit, but I was advised there would be somebody to help me. And just from owning a home care agency, I always had a rule that if somebody weighed over 250, 300 pounds, it would really be what's considered a two-person assist. Um, so in this case, um, you know, I knew what I was going out to, to see a 600-pound patient, but the husband was not able to assist. Um, the patient was drug-seeking. All she could talk about is, I only have four hydrocodone, and she had more than four, but she was so, it was obvious she had a pain med addiction. Um, so I think, you know, with the dressing changes, um, I wish I had had somebody there immediately to go with me. So I think a better situation would have been a physical therapist, a home health aide could have met me there, and we could have done the assessment together. Um, so what we did, I did have the director of nursing go with me. We did the wounds together. And the director of nursing said, this is not a situation that's doable. So what we did immediately was we got the social worker involved for placement, um, we alerted the doctor of the frequent request for pain medicine. I think the husband was taking the pain medicine too. Um, and, you know, we developed this policy about if somebody, this helped the director of nursing, that if somebody does, is heavy, you really need two people. And and I didn't know that until I, when I was a brand new nurse at Parkland, um, I had a 750-pound patient, and it took four of us to turn this patient. Mm -hmm. So you see these TV shows. Um, these people are able to move on their own, but if they're not, it is very mm -hmm. difficult, um, you know, moving a patient yeah. with that much weight. Right, right. Great information and great answers there. Um, and finally, uh, <clears throat> we had a hospice patient that uh, needed continuous care, which is round-the-clock 12-hour shifts. Um, uh, we sent out a male nurse um, to this home. It was in a really uh, poor area, a sketchy area, let's say, of, of Dallas. The daughter of the patient um, was a prostitute, 
was going in and out of the apartment, leaving the nurse alone with the patient. So um, before the nurse got to the home, though, he was mistaken uh, for a criminal by the police. And so he got stopped that way. Of course, he went on in. But um, anyway, Joe, tell us a little bit more about that situation. How was it handled? What was the outcome? So this was a nurse that we contracted. We This nurse was on our team, but we contracted with a hospice. And they called us about staffing for um, what's called continuous care. It's it's a um, patient that is on hospice that's in the dying process or in crisis, and Medicare pay, will pay for a nurse around the clock. This sweet little patient was home pretty much all the time um, with her daughter. Her daughter was her caregiver. But at night, the daughter would prostitute. And I don't think the hospice was aware of that when they they scheduled the continuous care nurse. So our nurse was terrified and it was a male nurse. And he was like, Joe, I cannot, I will not go back. This is not safe. Um, so the shift that he was on, I had him call me every hour. I reported to the hospice, the safety concerns, and they kind of just dismissed it like, oh, we, you know, whatever. Um, but the next morning I did call the hospice administrator and I explained the situation that how dangerous that was. And when somebody is on hospice and if they're on continuous care in the dying process with hospice, a family member has to be there or they will move them to the hospital or to a nursing home or inpatient nursing home. So there are a lot of strikes against um, this poor patient, you know, is very, very unfortunate. Um, but I think had the hospice had better communication with the staff and the hospice had known what was going on in the home, none of this would have happened. And we would never have sent a nurse out. That patient would have been sent to the hospital to die yeah. with adequate staff. Right. Yeah. Great yeah. answers, Joe. That's really good tips for us nurses and how to handle things if those situations come up. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about um, hope. You know, there are things that we can do, you know, as nurses to protect ourselves. We're not mind readers, mm -hmm. but share some things that you think, you know, a nurse that is in home health and she gets her schedule for the day, she's got five patients to see. If she knows she's going to a area that's not so safe, what do you recommend she does? Yeah, there's a number a number of things you can do. Um, uh, first of all, I, I wouldn't take your purse into uh, or wallet into the home. I would, of course, bring your cell phone, lock your phone, lock your purse, wallet in the in the trunk. Um, I always get detailed directions when you go to to a, a place you're not familiar with, especially if it's getting toward the dusk hour. I only in very uh, infrequent situations where I go out at night. But um, I would, uh, first of all, call the scheduler and say, listen, I'm headed out to so-and-so's home. I'll be there in 30 minutes. When you get there, call the scheduler and just say, I plan to be here 45 minutes and then leave. And just always keep that communication so no, someone knows exactly where you are. Um, Joe had a good idea on the last patient, the continuous care. They checked in every hour. That's mm -hmm. a great way to just stay in communication knowing that they're um, – and these uh, triage nurses, that's their job. I was mm -hmm. a triage nurse. That's We are – don't worry about calling them every hour at 2 a.m. when you uh, – 
they want to make sure that their staff is safe. Mm-hmm. Um, when you get to when you're going to a home, tell, call the family in advance and say, "Listen, will you wait for me? Will you look for me in the window and just be there when I ring the doorbell? Let me in." Um, Let's see if there if it's an apartment complex, you can always if it's available, check in with the security officer there. Many times there's a front desk and just let them know I'm going to be at room 207 for an hour and that type. And I want to um, just step in on this with these apartment complexes. Sometimes they have hundreds of apartments. So it's so important that the nurse know the building, where to park, the apartment, is it upstairs? Is it downstairs? Mm-hmm. And I learned that very quickly in hospice that you got to find out exactly where it is because you, and especially if it's an unsafe time of day anywhere, um, you know, know where you're going in that complex. Mm-hmm. No, that's a great idea because you're right. Some of them are very spread out. They have building A, B, C, and you're like, I don't know what building. Yeah, that's great. Great information. Um, Let's see. It's always good to carry one of those handheld alarms. You know that you can just press a button and it lets up a a screechy sound. That way you have it right in your hand if if you ever need that. um, don't partake in really, if there's any kind of family argument going on, just try to keep out of it. Just say, hello, I'm here to see the patient. Just do your job. Um, let's see. Um, you know, always trust your instincts. If you really feel safe, don't get out of the car. Mm-hmm. You call the agency and say, listen, I need a backup here. I need someone to walk in with me, um, and tell the examples of what why you feel unsafe, but just always trust your gut instinct, and it's the best uh, and, advice. And, you know, if you call the triage nurse, I mean, not every triage nurse is as ethical, as honest as others. Hope and I, I mean, I if a nurse called me and said, I'm not safe, you know, then, I, you know, I would make sure we we made some kind of arrangement, you would too. Mm-hmm. But but if you get a triage nurse that is like, you know what, it's fine. I go every day, you know, just deal with it. If you're not comfortable with that answer, then go to a manager. Mm-hmm. Really, like you say, you're right. Trust your instincts. Right, right. Um, also, when you walk into an apartment or anywhere, uh, don't carry your stethoscope around your neck. Don't let the people like, oh, there's. A, they may think, oh, there are needles in the bag or something. They, you know, they can use. There's drugs or something. So if you do have to carry, and I always carry a little medical bag. It doesn't look like a. You know, it doesn't look medical. It's just a little bag that I bring my stethoscope and things in. But just don't advertise the fact that you are a healthcare worker because people could get the wrong idea and think you're a target for medicine, that kind of thing. Um, and, um, and also, you know, pharmacies now, like the hospice patients, their pharmacies deliver. They do not have marked cars with the names of the pharmacy anymore. Mm-hmm. They do that for safety mm-hmm. um, because their employees are carrying meds. Right. And um, so, yes, um, I would never pick up a prescription for a patient um, where there's a safety concern. Right. Uh, that's a great, great tip. Yeah. And one thing I've just known this personally, um, some of us will have patients that are upset about a medicine that wasn't ordered or continued pain and you know they let it they lash out on the nurse and um you always uh, you know you just kind of look at the body language don't ever say calm down because that'll escalate the situation just um be respectful listen and say now how can we help you what let's let's think this through together can i call the doctor for you can we schedule a visit 
uh, tomorrow morning to get, but um, always, always let them know that you're, you're hearing what they say. And usually that will calm them down and not escalate. Cause if you just tell them to calm down and don't give them any kind of um, genuine response, um, um, the situation get more um, escalated and they get more angry. Yeah. And those, those patients or the family member, they want to be heard and they Mm -hmm. don't feel heard and they're not in control. They don't feel in control. And so Mm -hmm. giving them an opportunity to speak, you know, um, yeah, that it's, that's, that's great. That's great information. I know there was a nurse um, that was at the hospital. She was a brand new nurse. She'd only been had her license for six months and she was hit in the head um, by a dementia patient and she is still in ICU. This has been several months ago. Mm. But there are there's a foundation hope that you were talking about. And can you share a little bit about that foundation? Right. Um, <clears throat> it was funded a few years ago. It was by a, a nurse. Her name was Angela Simpson. And uh, she... Uh, she just went into the room, a patient's room, and it was in the hospital. The IV was beeping. So she went in there, and evidently the IV had, was really bothering the patient, and he had dementia, and he um, he attacked her. He was mad, and, you know, he she just went in to turn off the, the monitor or just, to, you know, reset it. So anyway, she... Um, uh, she just couldn't believe that that it happened. She had only been on that job for six months. Uh, but as a result of that attack and ongoing violence against nurses and other health professionals, she founded and serves as the national director for a nonprofit called Silent No More Foundation. So they've got a Facebook page, but they really work toward uh, speaking with legislators and the government to see uh, to have laws that will help protect healthcare workers. So um, it's a really interesting um, uh, organization, I'd recommend you all look it up and just see how how we can help or any ideas that we can give them or see how we can help in our in Dallas. Yeah, that's yeah. great. And you know, I want to encourage two listeners, um, if they're nursing students or you're thinking about going to nursing school, you know, Hope and I both went to community colleges and um, there are great community colleges. You don't have to go to the top you know, 20,000 a year, 30,000 a year college. And there are such a need for male nurses just because of the weight gain, um, the, you know, the bigger patient, um, male, males are stronger than females. So though, you know, I encourage males, there are more and more males entering the nursing force and it's wonderful. We need these male nurses. So just encourage, um, Emails out there. If you you want a great career with great benefits, you know, go to nursing school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great, yeah. great. Thank you, Hope, so much. So there was a, um, you know, we're we're talking about home health, but there's also hospital. I know um, there were two nurses a couple years ago here in Dallas at Methodist Hospital. They were in the labor and delivery, and of all the areas of nursing in hospitals. Labor and delivery is such a happy place with those precious Mm -hmm. newborns. These two nurses were murdered. And so it is a serious, serious problem. And we want to just keep our nurses protected. Um, I want to recommend Carrie Pepper Spray 
always keep your cell phone on. You know, when in doubt, like you say, Hope, you know, when you have that sense of discernment or uneasiness, listen to your gut. Listen mm-hmm. to your, you know, listen, because you, you're probably saving your own life. Mm-hmm. And I love that. Get involved with... um with different foundations, um, like the one you were talking about. Tell me the name right. of Get That Again. Yes, it's called Silent No More. Silent No More. So get involved with Silent No More. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about nurse safety. And we want the very best for our patients, but we want to make sure we're healthy and safe too. Right. So thank you so much for today. Hope, thank you so much for your information and um, we, if somebody wants to reach you needing care management, just some information and help on guiding a patient being an advocate, how do they get in touch with you? Right. Well, you can uh, you can email me if you'd like. Um, it may be best to just call me. Um, can I give my number? Yes, yeah. absolutely. It's 972-896-6087. Um, and of course, Joe, it's 214-415-3779. But we would be glad to talk through how we can help you. If you've got a uh, a loved one that needs help and you just don't know where to turn, uh, you're not happy with your doctor, you're not happy with the doctor's not listening to you and you want to um, get a second opinion, we can help, we can help arrange that. Um, you know, we can accompany people on to doctor visits and be speak on their behalf Um and call you after it's over and say, hey, here's really what the doctor said, you know, and, um, but we're here to advocate um, for you in many situations. If you're in a uh, assisted living and you're not happy, we can help make some changes there. We're the vo- the squeaky wheel. That, That's great. Yeah. Thank you so much, Hope, and have a blessed day. Thank I you. I appreciate your time. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you.